0: It's a game show full of like celebrities, and it's three generations vers- versing each other. So, like Gen Y, Gen X, baby boomers, and they compete for the glory and the fame and some really crappy prize, usually, of having beaten the other generation. So, I thought we'd all play a game this morning. No, just kidding, we're not playing a game. No. <laughs> but I did think we would look at the different generations. So, On the screen you will see. So if you were born in the mid to late 1920s through to the early to mid 1940s, you would be a member of the silent generation. So that's the silent generation there. So this generation were characterized by a fear of speaking out. Uh, The term originated in America during what is known as the McCarthy era or McCarthyism. And what that was was basically, it was the practice of making accusations or subversion or treason without proper regard for evidence. Golly gosh, how American politics have changed not. Common traits of this generation included heightened political repression and a campaign spreading fear of communist influence on American institutions and of espionage by Soviet agents. Sounds very James Bond-like. Now this did actually have a flow on effect to Australia. Um, One in eight, Australians are the silent generation and if you were born in that era you grew up during the Second World War and the Great Depression so that's pretty sad times now next generation if you were born between 1944 and 1964 you are known more famously as the baby boomer generation (laughs) so people born in this era are said to have been born in an increasing um, time of affluence due to the post-war aid of the government. So baby boomers were more active and wealthier than their predecessor generational counterparts and it said that baby boomers reached higher levels of income generation and as such enjoyed more of the good things in life. Next generation, if you were born between 1965 and 1979. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And you are known as Generation X so in Australia around one-third of the workforce is made up of this generation and fun fact that I did not know Scott Morrison is the very first post baby boomer to be an Australian Prime Minister and he's a Christian Generation X grew up under Malcolm Fraser and Bob Hawke leading the country and other well-known events that Generation X have witnessed firsthand were Halley's Comet the recession and the fall of the Berlin Wall Now it's been said of Generation X, that's what we're up to, yes, Generation X, that they are a hybrid of traditional, structural and analog approaches with the adaptive, collaborative and digital thinking of today. That sounds pretty smart. Now, (laughs) we are, of course you are, Rod. For (laughs) For those of us born between 1980 and 1994, yes, go Nettie, yes, go Brad. Um, We are known as Gen Y or millennials. So Gen Y make up 22% of the population here in Australia. 34% of Gen Ys are in the workforce. One in three Gen Ys have a university education compared to one in five baby boomers. Gen Ys are digital in nature, global in outlook, living in accelerated demographic times. On the downside, 14% of male Gen Ys and 28% of female Gen Ys experience poor mental health. This generation, so my generation, Nettie's generation, are stretched and stressed. We are more concerned over job security, housing security, sustaining good work life balance, developing positive relationships, and sustaining good and mental health. And that is why we are so exhausted all the time. That is right. All right, and the last generation is Generation Z. So, Generation Z, (laughs) there we go, sums it up, (laughs) are those born between 1995 and 2015. So, this generation have made climate change and protecting the environment their number one concern. Yes, absolutely, (laughs) yes. Um, Generation, where am I up to? I've lost now. Uh, Buying their first home is apparently more of a priority than taking an overseas holiday. Generation Z do have a declining faith in the economy and leadership. And most Gen Z still live with their parents, which, you know, if you were born in 2015, that's okay. But if you were born in 1995, that means you are 24 and still living at home. All right, so, (laughs) get out. (laughs) So what is the point of all this? What could this possibly have to do with why we're here today? What has this got to do with Jesus, with God? I have a point, I promise. So sometimes, we allow who we are to be defined by a pre-constructed set of ideas sometimes we allow culture or government to define not only who we are but also how we should behave what kind of neighborhood we should live in what kind of job we will have and the list goes on and sometimes it's our origin or our inherited socio-economic class or status that we nobody else, that we allow to dictate our present and our future. Now, the meaning of the word origin is the point or place where something begins, arises or is derived. So our beginning, our origin, did not originate at birth. It did not originate from our cultural or our government-determined socio-economic status. In fact, Our beginning didn't even originate with our parents. Our point or our place of origin was preconception. And in Romans 8, verse 29, it says, God knew them before he made the world. And he decided that they would be like his son. Then Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Now, I love the Message Bible, as I know I've told you guys before, and I really like the way it puts it in the Message Bible. So it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should look like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, during Jesus' time, obviously things on earth were a little bit different to our culture, our economics and our government. And during the time of Jesus, we know that society rejected the poor and the weak. Social outcasts were people That were considered to be unclean, poor, sick and women. Judaism excluded these people from the centre of religious life and to be an upper-class citizen in the time of Jesus you had to have acquired land or had accumulated trade or political influence and those who became rich by the world's standards were landowners, government officials and army officials. Middle class citizens were more commonly the merchants and the artisans, and lower class citizens were unskilled labourers and farmers. Now, interestingly, shepherding was the second to lowest position on the social ladder and was considered the absolute lowest of working classes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but can anybody maybe think of someone from the Bible, pretty unassuming? yet very important person who would have been in that social class. Maybe a young shepherd boy, maybe in the lowest of working class occupations, maybe he defeated a giant, maybe he became king. Socioeconomic status is the social standing or class of an individual or a group. It is measured as a combination of education, income and occupation. So let's look at Jesus' earthly family from that perspective. So Joseph, he was Jesus' earthly dad, he was a carpenter. His mother, well obviously she was a woman. And it didn't matter to the culture of that day that Mary was also a direct descendant of King David through Eli. Uh, And if you count all the generations, it's 41 generations, but she was still a direct descendant. Did Jesus allow culture environment and government to define who he was and what he was capable of doing. No, he allowed himself to be defined by whose he was. He knew that he was the son of the one and only God and he knew he was of royal blood. You see, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you were born into. It doesn't matter what generation you were born into. It doesn't matter what working class you find yourself in today. Because you are of royal blood. And as Romans 8.29 said, Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers or sisters. And you, if you have given your life to Christ and if you believe that he is your Lord and saviour, you are that brother or sister. You are of royalty. And what defines you is not what year you were born, what world you were born into. What defines you is not what your parents' jobs were or are nor what your occupation is. What defines you is not the mistakes you have made in the past, nor the opportunities that you have missed. What defines you is who you say you belong to. Whose are you? What defines you will be the followings, the promptings, the whispers, that you allow God to speak into your life to become all he has predestined you to be. Now, what I find ironic, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone, as we saw before, is that according to biblical socioeconomics, shepherds were considered to be the lowest of working classes. Yet Jesus likens himself to that of a shepherd. Ezekiel foretold of this great shepherd, and we're going to read Ezekiel 34 Then this message came to me from the Lord Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. And then a little bit down further, it talks about the good shepherd. For what, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And in John 10, more famously known, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd to his believers, just as the shepherds were of their livestock. A shepherd tended to his flock day and night. He would gather the sheep into the sheepfold at night for their protection. And back then, you know, a sheepfold was, it was a pen, a cave or an area backed by stone walls, not like today's modern farms. Since there were no doors, the shepherd would often sleep or sit in the opening, ready to guard his sheep from harm. And in John chapter 10, and I encourage you to go back over that in your own time, Jesus illustrates how the shepherd cared for his flock, protecting them from the weather, from thieves, from predatory animals. He loved and shielded them, and if necessary, he would lay down his life for them. What man determined to be the lowest of lows in terms of career heights, God esteemed, God highly honoured that of a shepherd. Those that society rejected, Jesus made the centre of his message. They were highly honoured and esteemed now before we move on to inheritance there's just one more thing i want to talk about and it's in relation to the socioeconomic status and you know whether you're rich and powerful or not we read a lot in the bible about jesus and god using those people who were of low class or not of high standing but god doesn't just use people in those situations god will use people who are better educated who are wealthier You don't just have to be down and out to be used by God. In the Old Testament, we see that God uses Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Job and they were all well off. In the New Testament, there were many people who were among the wealthier whom helped those in need. And if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see people like Joseph called Barnabas, Cornelius, Lydia, Aquila and Priscilla. And then there's a guide, who has got his own book and it's called... And I used to pronounce it wrong, but I found it's actually pronounced Philemon. He's got his own book. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He had slaves, yet God was able to use him. Because you see, it's not about social class. It's not about education. It's not about economics. It's about willingness. It's about whether or not you're prideful it's about humility and we know in Matthew 19:24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter God's kingdom and that is if your place is in the wrong if your heart is in the wrong place if you are relying on monetary wealth if you're relying on things of this world if you're not relying on God that's when God is not able to use you so let's move on now to inheritance now unfortunately when we talk about inheritance Or when someone receives an inheritance, it usually only comes about after the death of a loved one. And usually when we're talking about inheritance, it's a a sum of money or a parcel of land or maybe something a little bit like, you know, a precious collection of jewels or other items that have either a significant monetary or personal value. But when we talk about inheritance from a biblical perspective, it's a little different. When we talk about inheritance in biblical terms, we're talking about it more from a theological perspective rather than a legal perspective. And what I mean by that, more specifically, is that we are talking about the acquisition or the receiving of spiritual blessings and the promises of God. And if we look at inheritance through the Old Testament, you'll see that the focus of inheritance was very much centred around God's promises to Abraham. And we look at Genesis Genesis 17 and it says it's called God's promise to Abraham. So Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him and again said, I am God all-powerful. If you obey me and always do right, I will keep my solemn promise to you and give you more descendants than can be counted. Abraham bowed with his face to the ground and God said, I promise that you will be the father of many nations. That's why I now change your name from Abraham to Abraham. I will give you a lot of descendants and in the future they will become great nations. Some of them will even be kings. I will always keep the promise I have made to you and your descendants because I am your God and their God. I will give you and them the land in which you are now a foreigner. I will give the whole land of Canaan to your family forever and I will be their God. And if we move through to the New Testament, we'll still see references to God's promises to Abraham, but we can see that there is a different inheritance to receive. And we're going to see who's going to be the smartest in the class and see who can pick it. So Matthew 19, so Jesus blesses the children. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And then further on down, it talks about the rich man. Someone came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And further on down, then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So very clearly, the inheritance that we're talking about is the kingdom of God. It's eternal life. And if you are a Christian, you are by faith a brother or sister of Christ. And if you are a brother or sister of Christ, then it stands to reason that you are a child of God. And if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, also known as Lord, Master, Son of David, Lamb of God, Good Shepherd, Great High Priest, Liar to the world, king of the jews king of kings and my personal favorite from isaiah 9:6, for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace so having defined our own lineage our own origins through christ having defined who we are through christ and not who we are through our worldly social or economic view as Christians we too can be sure of the promises of God and know of the amazing inheritance that each of us will receive and this inheritance is not one of possessions but that which can never perish, spoil or fade that is kept in heaven for you as he said in 1 Peter 1.4. This inheritance is the possession of salvation, and even more specifically, the eternal and joyful existence with God. So I suppose my message today has really been to challenge myself and everybody to think about your own origins. I want to challenge you to think about what defines you and what it is that you allow to dictate the outcomes of your life. Um, And I also hope that it will cause you to stop for a moment or two and think about the outcomes, the long-term outcomes for your life. Think about what you might inherit because of the choices that you choose to make today. So we're just gonna finish um, with a clip that I think really ties in really, really well with my message and then Pastor is gonna come up and close.
1: I ran to the dark because I needed a hiding place. No matter what I did to be good, I kept messing it all up. Like I had a parasite, a monster inside of me that was determined to take every beautiful thing and make it ugly. If anyone ever found out I was afraid, they'd be so disappointed or angry. Before they could run away from me, I ran away from them. I was the master of my own life. I discovered things that would give me bursts of happiness, but everything faded. I hunted for anything that might be sustainable. It was all I really wanted, something deeper, to feel loved instead of broken. In the dark, I felt comfortable never whole. There had to be a reason I was created, a bigger picture, an origin that made the universe and everything in it, including me. I suspected that my breath came from somewhere, something, someone, that my life wasn't just a random occurrence based on an accidental blast. I watched the sun set and rise. I saw trees grow tall from tiny seeds There were cycles in the earth could explain, some that were a total mystery. All of this was evidence of a Creator, an all-knowing but distant God, watching from somewhere outside the darkness. God who knew my shame and was probably just as disappointed as everyone else. What I never saw coming was how much this God loved me, what He would give to be closer to me, closer to you. He knew we needed help, so he invaded the world with light. God sent his son Jesus to earth with a simple mission, show them how much I love them. When Jesus arrived, he had every right to be judgmental. He was the son of of God, He could have saw everything we've done with this world, a world His Father created and reacted with punishment or disgust. Instead, He demonstrated God's love. He showed us God's love was radical, teaching messages that challenged the expectations.